Hello, and welcome to the Power Your Advice podcast. The Power Your Advice podcast is designed to bring financial advisors new ideas, why those ideas should be considered, and how to implement them into your business. This podcast is brought to you by Advisorpedia, the best place for advisors to grow their minds and businesses. And now, please join your host, Doug Heikinen. Hello, and welcome to our fall pop-up podcast center in New York City. Our guest is Donnell Mastrangelo, who's head of distribution at Lex Markets. Lex is a new way to invest in real estate. Lex turns individual buildings into public stocks. I said that right. This is absolutely fascinating. Welcome, Donald. Thank you, Doug. It's nice to be here. Before we get into how incredibly innovative this is, let's step back and talk about commercial real estate's historical access problem or its role in or lack thereof of client portfolios. Before, commercial real estate has just been very hard to access for individual, high net worth, wealthy individuals. Um, It's been the domain of sovereign wealth funds and very large endowments and foundations, um, either direct ownership or in two and 20 type fund structures. The REIT market has developed. Um, REITs are a company, they're not investments in an individual building. REITs trade more like stocks. Buildings tend to be non-correlated to the markets. They're long dated assets. They don't change much overnight. Very easy to understand. You can underwrite them very easily. But before what Lex has created, the ability to trade interests in those were by appointment only. Um, You know, they were LP interests or they were a large piece of the building that the sponsor maybe sold to someone to free up capital. So they were negotiated sales. They took a lot of time. Uh, Spreads were wide enough to drive a bus through. And it was just, you know, inefficient for um, smaller investors accredited, non-accredited investors to have access to direct ownership of commercial real estate um, without having to write meaningful size checks. And for advisors, that's a challenge because not every client can afford to write a $50,000 check for a single investment. And advisors want to sprinkle institutionally underwritten commercial real estate into all of their client portfolios for the benefits of owning commercial real estate directly. And what I mean by that is when you own real estate directly, the tax advantages are dramatic. The income is passive. You get the benefits of depreciation. You get the amortization going to you as the loan starts to pay off. And one of the nice things about what we do at Lex is if you own a Lex share, which represents ownership in a building, and the building is sold, you get your pro rata proceeds of the sale without paying any fee or any carried interest. So more of the appreciation of the asset and the property go to you, the Lex investor. So let's take a step back. I was going to ask ask what the big idea was behind Lex, but we've already talked about that. So where did the idea come from and how did it evolve? I'm going to take a step back because it really (laughs) started um, in 2012. Okay. Uh, The government promulgated... Uh, Reg A. And Reg A was the government's attempt to enable all investors access to 
institutional quality assets. And so Reg A made it much easier to underwrite, file an offering with the SEC, get it registered, and then out on the other side come shares the trade with the ticker and a QCIP. It's had a number of permutations. It's an incredibly laborious process. You're dealing with the government. The SEC is doing a wonderful job to make sure that what we're underwriting is accurately displayed in the offering documents. But the other problem is large institutions, you're limited in tier two reg A to $75 million. And very large institutions, that's not enough to get them out of bed. Right? They need to do bigger deals. They've got bigger distribution channels. So while the government did create a terrific opportunity for all investors to participate in these institutional assets, the market has been somewhat slow to adapt to it and to bring product to market under Reg A. But we're going to change that. Okay, let's talk about due diligence. You got to understand the tenancy, the loan information, the details of the building. And then if each one's its own security, isn't there regulations around that as well? Yes, but you don't get to step B until you get completely through step A. Right. We have a full-blown investment banking team. The two senior leaders have, between the two of them, over 40 years of underwriting commercial real estate, both equity and debt, at some of the largest firms on the street. They're supported by a number of associates, MDs, et cetera, who help them underwrite. And you're right, Doug. There's a lot of information to underwrite, but it's not rocket science. You have to understand the loan docs. You have to understand the title tax restrictions. You have to understand the tenant roles. You have to understand the environmental risks that may be present in the building. You have to understand future CapEx needs. You have to have a feel for market comparables. You have to have a feel for what are the tenant's business's prospects. So just as if you were to buy any piece of real estate, you do a, an, an, an incredibly wide and deep due diligence to understand all of the opportunity and the risks so that you can mitigate the downside risk of making that investment, because these are not risk-free. Right? We saw during the pandemic, you know, a lot of buildings vacant, a lot of buildings still vacant. Don't think those owners aren't thinking about what next to do with those buildings to convert them into more usable space to attract tenants. Um, real estate investors in particular over the last 100, 200 years have been some of the most adaptable and creative investors in, in the world, taking dirt turning it into something that people use every day, spend a lot of their life in, and then maybe pivot to create something else with that. Take an office tower that converts to multifamily. Take a, uh, a mall that becomes a destination rather than just stores. You build video arcades and restaurants and uh, high-def movie theaters, and you get people to come to that mall, and you get new businesses sprouting up in that mall because the retailers went online. That's what smart real estate people do, self-storage. Who would have thought self-storage would have become a multi-billion dollar business in America where people have garages? 
And the garages are what? They're filled with stuff. And so you can't build another garage, so you go rent storage. And the building we have in New Hampshire, one of their biggest tenants and longest tenants is the self-storage company. And they can't get enough footprint in that building because the demand in Nashua is so strong because people are emigrating from Massachusetts to New Hampshire where there's no sales tax, no estate tax, and you've got people graduating from the colleges in that MSA who are starting businesses, and it's 60, 65% cheaper to do it 40 miles away in Nashua than to do it in Metro Boston. As a startup, we know how important burn is, right? Yeah. And these oh, kids yeah. know that too. Oh, yeah. So let's talk about the structuring of this thing, which we touched on, which is going to be really important to advisors. Lex Securities can be held in an advisory account as they trade with a ticker, QCIP, and are DTCC eligible. Correct. So as with any stock, we underwrite it. First of all, we agree to terms with the sponsor, right? They, we agree, we, we bank it. We, these, the appraisal says it's worth X. The owner says it's worth Y. We think it's worth Z. And we negotiate with the owner to come up with what a fair value is. And then we do all of our research. Finally, we put together all of the documentation that's required by the SEC to submit to them an offering circular that they then spend time and validate that it is in conformance with all of the rules and regs for any public offering. And then it comes out of registration and we go out and get indications of interest from investors. And when we hit the min, the max, or somewhere in between, we close the deal. We issue the shares. They go into your brokerage account at Schwab or Fido, if you want. Or they can go into your Lex account. We have a broker-dealer. We are a broker-dealer as well. And we've created an alternative trading system. And so what that means is the shares are delivered to your account with a QCIP and a ticker. The QCIP is so the DTC knows what these things are, and the tickers are so that the broker-dealer community can trade client to client. And you facilitate, if you want to, the ticker for the Harlem building in New York is TESLU. And you can buy TESLU and keep it in your Schwab account side by side with your Tesla. And if you want to buy more of one with proceeds from the other, have at it. You collect the dividends off of these commercial properties as they're um, dispersed by the, by the general partners, by the operating company. So let's dig a little deeper. How do you align client interests with those of the sponsor? Our guys have been doing this for a long time. They leverage their networks, which are vast and wide. We have a number of very notable real estate families and professionals on our board, on our advisory board. So we leverage everybody's skills and talents. And we will work collaboratively with our distribution partners and teams to understand the appeal of a building, what the return profile of the building is, is um, and what the market clearing price should be. And if the sponsor is unwilling to agree to a market clearing price, we'll walk away because there's $21 trillion in real estate out there. 
we got a lot of work to do. <laughs> you went through a very thorough registration process with the SEC. I can't even imagine how long that took. It takes a lot of time, but worth it for the benefit of the advisor and investor alike. Absolutely. I mean, the investor protections are absolutely a critical component of what we do. Um, these are publicly security, so, you know, sunlight being the best disinfectant, you see everything that's going on in these properties. These, these, copy, these companies, these buildings, have to file with the SEC. They have to file audited financials once a year with the SEC. The sponsor is available for commentary to the shareholders on an as-needed basis. But it also goes back to how's business going, right? If the building is still fully leased, and if the rent rolls are positive, and if the rent increases are according to plan, and CapEx is well-budgeted for and well-spent, not unlike underwriting a bond. Now, you're not allowed to say that, because this is not a bond, it's an equity. But these pieces of commercial real estate, you know, they have a value, they have a yield, a distribution, they benefit from the appreciation of the market. Hopefully you're in good markets that are appreciating, so you have to understand that. Um, a good sector, you know, some sectors are out of favor right now. Urban office, it's a tough one. I live, I work in Manhattan um, my whole life. I would never short New York City. Because if you look at all of the activity and what these owners are doing with these buildings to change the footprint and create value out of the asset that they own, it's, it's, it's tremendous. Let's talk about the tax benefits. Can advisors get beneficial tax benefits by leveraging amortization, depreciation to minimize their client's tax burdens? If the client's a shareholder, if the advisor's a shareholder, yes but the client, the advisor's clients would get the benefits of passive income, of depreciation. These are publicly traded partnerships. So think similar to MLPs, a little different though because they're single assets and um, they're maybe a little easier to understand than an MLP, um, but they're publicly traded partnerships. So the income that the building kicks off is treated as passive income, which is um, much preferred from a tax perspective. And I, again, I'm not an accountant, so check with your accountant. Depreciation is the other benefit. That's why these deliver a K-1 at the end of the year, as opposed to a 1099, because you get the benefits of the depreciation on the asset. A lot of other products, um, registered products out there it's a return of capital, which is how they keep their distributions steady. Um, this is different than that. You're not getting a return of capital. You're getting your pro rata share of the net operating income on a fully underwritten piece of commercial real estate that we've underwritten in any part of the country. Donald, you're a pro in the industry. You've been a lot of places. You could have done a lot of things. I, I see why this was attractive to you. But it takes a great team, and you joined a team as well. So talk about the team. It, it, it does take a great team, um, especially to do something that's at the cutting edge of one of, of one of the oldest asset classes. I mean, real estate as an asset class goes back to the London Fire, the Great London Fire 300 years ago. That's when all the rules were promulgated on um, insurance and coverage ratios and loan to value because the great fire have decimated London. 
I'll start with, we're a tech platform. Um, one of our co-founders, co-CEO, Jesse Darty, spent, he was an, an engineering major in college, um, spent five or six years at Google as, a, as an engineer, and he has recruited an extremely talented group of engineers because we had to build our own alternative trading system to make sure that we could match trades. This is not something we could just rent off the shelf. Um, and all the other tech that Jesse and his team has built um, has been maybe taking something off the shelf, taking it apart and making it better. So our, our client service, our outreach, what we do on the marketing side, um, it's a lot of proprietary stuff and it's highly effective. The other co-founder, uh, Drew Sterrett, um, spent years uh, as a real estate investment banker and became frustrated with the inability to participate in the deals he was underwriting and showing to large institutional investors because he loved the risk-return trade-off of these assets. He understood it. But you needed to write a $10 million check. So Drew spent a number of years knocking on the doors of a lot of real estate investors here in New York and other parts of the country to test drive his theory. And they beat the hell out of him. But finally, he prevailed. And he got them to agree that you could do this the way he had envisioned it. So Drew and Jesse really came together to put that together. We've hired great people on the distribution side. Um, one of our partners who runs equity capital markets spent 30 years, has done 1,500 IPOs, Barclays, Lehman, and some other notable firms. Um, so he knows the street, and he knows how the syndication process works. Um, our head of marketing, Tony Vargas, um, has tremendous experience in um, social media and in term, social media and digital marketing. And he's, he's been here four months and has had just a dramatic impact on open rates and on um, the, the number of just positive outcomes from outreach that happen, this conversation today. Um, and then we have our own broker dealer. Uh, we have the president of that, the CEO of that, is a uh, Wall Street attorney. Um, who worked at a, um, a flash trading, not a flash trading firm, one of those hyper, a hyperactive trading firms. You know, active. Really active. <laughs> um, so he really understands trading and you know, order flow and, and the things a broker-dealer needs to do to be compliant with the rules and regs of FINRA and the SEC. So you can see, oh, I forgot the fifth or sixth leg of the stool, um, our legal group, you know, anyone who can take a process of soup to nuts with an IPO with the SEC in two to four weeks, you know they're doing a pretty fantastic job. And so we've done, we've put four IPOs through. First one, always the hardest, took months. Second one took a couple of weeks. Third one took a couple, maybe a few weeks. We actually pulled that deal due to adverse market conditions. The, the property in that case had a floating rate loan um, that they did not have a swap on. And so as the Fed was raising rates, the NOI was coming down. And what we had underwritten in the beginning wasn't nearly as compelling as what the market forces turned it into today. We have the property up in New Hampshire that's in registration right now. 
That's an interesting one because we actually did a Reg D first on that. And the reason we did the Reg D, that's a private placement, accredited investors only, et cetera, et cetera, you're familiar. This group needed to close on a loan by the end of August or they would have lost that loan. And it was a three and a quarter, five-year loan, interest only for the first three years, amortizing with two after that and then two one-year extensions. And so they, they would have just lost an incredibly good piece of paper. And so we did the Reg D. We filled it. We then refiled the Reg A, same exact building that the Reg D investors are in. That'll come out of registration shortly. We'll complete that IPO. Those shareholders will get their Lex shares. If you Anyone got a good idea for a ticker? We're all ears. It's in Nashua, New Hampshire. It's a converted industrial property, mixed use. It's really interesting. Um, but what, what is interesting, what we plan to do is, in a year, remove the restricted legend from the Reg D and allow those Reg D LPs to convert their LP units into publicly tradable shares. So these investors will be in a Reg D. And, if you've invested in real estate, these can be five to seven plus plus years. These investors will have the option of taking their units, converting them into tradable shares, and holding them until they determine they don't want to hold them anymore, or the sponsor sells the building. Once the sponsor sells the building, it's like a, it's like a call option, right? The mm -hmm. stock gets called, but you're getting paid out, hopefully at a higher value, because these guys and gals aren't buying buildings to have them decline in value. And I've done a lot of private fund distribution. Um, and I think 2 and 20 is a great thing, unless you're the one paying the 20. And when this building is sold, you keep 100% of your pro rata proceeds. That's pretty interesting. The whole thing's interesting. And we thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate it. To learn more about Lex Markets, please visit lex-markets.com. We thank our friends at Jay Connolly for hosting the Podcast Center. Please follow us for timely updates on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, all at Advisorpedia. For everybody at Advisorpedia, our producer, Julia Smolin, and the Power Your Advice podcast team, this is Doug Heikinen. <laughs>